Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. What's up, everybody? This week's guest is Skylar Petrie. Skylar is an amazing kid, man. I mean, he's a man, but twice his age so he's a kid to me <laughs> but uh he's an incredible young man he uh he kind of got into it early um in high school and battled through addiction and has completely turned his life around thanks to the power of friends the power of god and the power of love which as you know is a big big theme on our show um love is the power that can beat all can conquer anything can heal anything and uh, this was a really good conversation Skylar has a really good story and I think that uh, he touches on a lot of things he talks about early on what led to his addiction how it really started with tobacco and alcohol um just being so accepted where he was from or where he moved to not, <clears throat> where he moved to not where he was from excuse me but uh, I don't want to give too much away um, it was a really good conversation um, Rain and I really enjoyed talking with Skylar so we hope that you enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for watching hey everybody I'm Rex and I'm Raina and today we got a special guest with us um, he was introduced to me by uh, a mutual friend of ours Tim Lodgen uh Tim, as we all know, is a great guy, um, and uh, Skylar and I have been kind of messaging back and forth over the past couple of weeks, and now we're going to have a conversation. It's nice to meet you, Skylar. Thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you guys. Yeah, so uh, you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, my name's Skylar. Uh, right now, I'm in Oklahoma. I'm a father of two, a uh, six-year-old boy. And a four-year-old girl. Um, I've been married going on six years. Um, you know, life's life's good. I've been clean and sober uh, three years, November second. So I just hit two and a half years. Um, you know, life's going really good right now. Uh, try to stay in the moment, but yeah, I, between you know working, being a husband, dad, a coach, um, you know, my life stays pretty busy. And then also fitting meetings here and there, you know, working with my sponsor still, um, 
you know, I just try and stay as busy as possible. It's hard not to with wrestling tournaments. My daughter's staying busy. Um, they're getting to that age where it's fun, you know, and I have my life back. So I try to spend as much time with them as possible um, and be as present as possible because I wasn't in the past. So I've got I've been given a second opportunity, to be a better father and a better husband. And so I try my best every day to to stay tied up with them and uh, take care of my responsibilities. So. It's amazing when we get an, a second chance, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's something else. You got two and a half years clean. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Like how, how that came about? Yeah. So um, it's kind of a crazy <coughs> deal. Um, so I was born and raised in California. Um I played sports in California. My parents kept a really tight leash on me. I came from a good home. My parents are still married, over 25 years married. Um, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. You know, you hear all these stories of, you know, their childhood and, and how they ended up becoming the way that my, mine was completely different. My, my life growing up was amazing. I couldn't ask for a better life. Um, my dad his next door neighbor, we ended up moving to Idaho. So we lived in Idaho for about two years. And this was, this took in, took place in middle school. Um, so I ended up moving to Idaho for a little bit. He ended up losing his job. My father did. Well, his family is in Oklahoma. My mom's side of the family was in California. So we ended up moving out to Oklahoma my freshman year of high school. And you know, there was, there was some pressure due to how good of a state of re like wrestling state this is. Oklahoma's known like, you know, there's a couple of major states known for their wrestling. And so I knew I was getting myself into a pretty big deal. I've also wrestled my whole life. So kind of getting burnt out by this stage. So we moved to Oklahoma and my parents kind of let the reins off. If you know what I'm saying? They, they let me, they were like, you're not going to get hurt. You're, you have nothing to worry about. Like, they kind of just let it go. And I was able to live kind of a free life. So I got introduced very quickly to, you know, alcohol and um, tobacco out here. Um, tobacco was a big one. I was like all the, you know, kids I was in school with freshman year were dipping tobacco, you know, smoking cigarettes, uh, drinking alcohol. And the parents were very okay about it. They would buy us snuff. You know, they would buy us cigarettes, buy us liquor. And so it became so much fun from what I thought in my head. It was a rush. It was fun. Um, then slowly, you know, throughout high school, I got introduced to parties, um, you know, marijuana, that kind of stuff. And it, it happened so fast. And I remember when it happened, when I quit caring about sports and I quit caring about what I loved. And I thought that the high I was getting from you know, women, partying, drugs, all that kind of stuff was a better feeling than playing sports. Um, and I tried to fake my way through high school as best I could. I stayed a part of the wrestling team until the beginning of junior year. By junior year, um, I was already deep into Xanax, painkillers and alcohol, and definitely marijuana. Um, that just went hand in hand with everything I did. Um, I ended up getting popped with the drug test. Failed the drug test, got kicked off the wrestling team. It was just a couple months after that I was kicked out of school completely. 
Um, I had just let it all go. And I got offered a Votech trade school. Um, it was an alternative program. So I went to alternative school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up taking heating and air. Didn't even know anything about heat and air. I, I literally just thought it produced room. To, like, I thought your house was just okay at all times. Like, I didn't realize there was, like, an air conditioner outside and there's a heater in the attic. Like, I just didn't it didn't ever cross my mind. Um, so one of my friends actually was in the program uh, for HVAC, and I ended up taking it. Last very long. I ended up being caught in the bathroom getting high, and uh, they actually kicked me out of the that alternative program so I had one last alternative program to do I was I was going to school there from eight to noon Monday through Thursday and I had Fridays off and it was to help you graduate fairly quick um, I've known people to go through it and actually graduate a whole year early um, so <clears throat> being me thinking I know everything um, I, I had a job at discount tire um, I wasn't living at home anymore. I was 17 years old and I was sleeping on couches and just trying to make it, you know, trying to get, just get, have fun still. Like I, I kept thinking I was invincible. You know, I live this life, like I'm invincible. Nothing's going to happen to me. I don't need school. I need money. So that was like, in my mind, that's what I need to do. That's what made the world go round. Um, I'm getting kicked out of alternative school. I rushed through a test to you know, so I can go to work, rush through the test. I failed the test. They knew I failed on purpose that I just rushed through it. They told me, they said, you're going to have to get your parents back up here because if you leave without retaking this test, you're not allowed back in here and your parents are going to have to come up. Well, at the time I didn't live at home with my parents. So I knew that wasn't an option. And, uh, I ended up just leaving and still did not graduate high school or have a GED to this day. That is something that's on my list. Um, so I ended up hitting the road. Um, I was here in Oklahoma City. Um, I had my wife at the time, which was my girlfriend. Um, <clears throat> so I'm living with her. Uh, I have this job. I ended up getting a heat and air job for one of my buddies in HVAC. And it's kind of where everything really went majorly downhill. In high school, you know, the partying, you know, the weed, the Xanax, all that stuff. At that point in time, it was fun. And then somewhere... After school, I crossed an like an, an imaginary line. It was an invisible line that I crossed over from thinking I was having all this fun and I was invincible and I would have no problems. And these, these things would take away my problems, my insecurities, my feelings. And somewhere I crossed that line and it um, became a full-time job and I didn't know how it happened. And I didn't realize it even happened until I got sober. So go back after after getting kicked out of school starting that heat and air job painkillers were a huge thing i know they still are a huge thing my journeyman my very first journeyman got prescribed percocet and uh he would feed them to me we'd eat them together it seemed to make in my mind it seemed to make my job easier made me seem to work faster didn't mind working longer right it, it gave me all these things that i i made up in my head like oh it's not you know, I don't want to be at work, but if I'm high at work, you know, it makes me want to work later. It makes, I don't care if I have to work and crawl underneath the house. Like I'm okay with it as long as I'm high. The days that I wasn't high, I didn't want to go to work. Right. So I made all this up in my head. I got real delusional. And, uh, at this point, I don't even think I'm 21 yet. I'm not even legal to drink. And, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm eating pink, I'm eating Xanax, I'm smoking pot. Fast forward a little bit, um, you know, and I'm trying to justify my actions with my parents. My parents, you know, they're not happy with what I'm doing. At this time, they're still kind of enabling me. Um, and uh, so <clears throat> fast forward a little bit, marijuana becomes legal out here. And uh, my dad was probably the biggest enabler in my life. Um, my wife, she knew, she could see right through my, my crap. Um, my dad, he didn't want to believe it. So he gets me a medical card. Um, you know, at this point, I'm taking Percocet, um, smoking pot. Now I have this card that tells me that I could go legally go buy marijuana and I'm okay. And uh, I started using that to my advantage. If I had somebody that had what I wanted, well, I can get them pot and charge them full price because as a medical marijuana patient, I have it a little cheaper. So then it became a trading, uh, you know, a trading deal for me. It made it a little easier for me to get what I wanted when I wanted it. And, uh, you know, my dad started ramble, but my dad, he ended up co-signing for me on a street bike when I was younger um, in high school. Well, I ended up totaling it and it, it ended up getting paid off. My credit became good. So mind you, I bought a house with a co-signer before I was 21. So I had my own home and uh, people are telling me, you know, you're getting bad, all this and that. You need to quit taking the pills. You need to quit doing this and that. Um, but yet they don't own their own home. You know, they don't, they're not they're living in, in a, an apartment or something. Right. And I'm over here telling myself that like, how can I be the bad guy? How do you tell me I, I have a problem and this and that, and I need to stop what I'm doing when I have all this stuff, you know, that I have, like, I have all these materialistic things that I think make me who I am. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I ended up having my first son. Um, my wife, she wanted me to quit, you know, getting high at this point. She still wasn't like, she thought that I could just quit getting high. And I told her, I, I, I honestly meant it when I said it, that I would stop when Troy was born. My son's name's Troy. I said, when Troy is born, I'll quit getting high. I couldn't do it. I couldn't stop getting high. I try to hide it, whatever it took, you know, to get high and, and try to live a manageable life. I thought I was different than everybody else that I could, you know, drink and smoke and get high like an, like an adult, I guess you could say. Um, I ended up, um, I ended up keep getting high. And shortly after that, I ended up uh, getting in a, in a little accident, had surgery on my foot. Well, they ended up prescribing me medication. Um, with that medication, I took that and ran with it. And I kept going to, that's when I ended up starting to go to hospitals and my doctor again, trying to, you know, lie about my pain I'm in. And I, my pain's on set at 10, man, I need something, man, please. And they would hit me with a shot of cortisone. Cause they were like, I don't want you to get, you know, strung out on these. I don't, I don't want you to get dependent on these. And I'm going there, mind you, I'm going there to get hopefully a script out of this deal. And they give me a shot of cortisone. So now I'm in more pain because I got a needle in my foot, you know, and I really didn't, I really didn't need the cortisone shot. I was <laughs> trying to, you know, so that, that didn't, uh, so I found out that that wasn't going to work after trying countless doctors, racking up medical bills, um, going to the ER, trying to, you know, fake stuff all the time just to try and get, you know, just something um, to then eventually running service calls in customers' houses and stealing their painkillers. Um, I would end up um, 
you know, telling them anything under the sun. I mean, you get, you get a heat and air guy in your house or, you know, electrician or plumber, you know, and you don't know anything about that. You know, I need to check your vents in your bathroom. I need to check your vents in through the whole house. And I used to have this little gun that I'd shine up into the, into the registers and I would, they would see me do that. And I would tell them I need to check all the vents in the house. And I'd go through and I would, I would check their, their cabinets and their bathrooms and I would steal them. And at that point I thought in my mind, it's my word against theirs, right? Like, how could you, like, here's where the manipulation of me comes in is how could you, how could you accuse me? I just fixed your air conditioner and you're accusing me of stealing your, your pain medication, you know, and I, I, I would play it over and over in my head. If this ever came to a head, this is what I would say. And, uh, shortly after that, um, I had my, my, my second kid, my daughter was born. Um, at that point in time in my life, I had ended up, um, getting away from the opiates, um, and getting into to fentanyl. Um, I would, I, I would, I wouldn't say opiates. I'd say just the painkillers. They were getting too expensive. So fentanyl, um, and I ended up landing myself in my first treatment center and I went because my wife and my, my mom, my dad wanted me to go to treatment. So I figured I'd go to treatment. I mean, you get me high enough and I'm down to go do anything, especially if I go to go to Texas or another state, you know, like, I don't know what it is when I get loaded and someone says, Hey, you need to go to rehab. And I got a plane ticket for you. And I'm, I'm there. I'm at the, I'm at the airport ready to go. So I go to treatment. These dudes are like, you know, they're, they're IV users and they're telling me their stories. And I'm over here like, man, I just take painkillers. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not bad. Like you guys are on a whole nother level, you know, like I'm not made for this place. You know, this ain't me. I'm totally different, man. I got my own home. You know, you guys have lost this and lost that. And I got my own place. I got two kids, you know, my wife's still with me. Like I'm golden. Like, I don't know what my parents are talking about, but I'm going to give them a call and I'm going to let them know they're crazy. (laughs) So I called them and I told them that this was not for me. I'm coming home. Um, that was my first treatment center. I AMA'd out of that treatment center. I was back again 30 days later. <laughs> and, uh, it was actually when I showed up, the guy who I was in detox with was leaving after his 45-day stay. <clears throat> and I was so pissed because I was like, man, if I would have just stayed and I would have like listened to these people, I could be getting out today. Now I got to sit back in here again and go through the first five days what I went through. Because I was a detox only type of guy, I didn't want to even do 30 days. 30 days was too long. I got stuff to do. You know, like I really didn't have a, I didn't think I had a problem. Um, that was, ended up being the beginning of 2019 in January. So I go to treatment, I make it two weeks. And I thought, man, this is a long time. I've been in treatment for two weeks. Like someone pat me on the back. Like I need, I need a little bit of like, good job over here. It's time for me to go home. And so they, they tell me to sleep on it. Well, I thought that I could still manipulate people and that I knew, you know, more than anybody else. And, uh, like this, this problem thinking I know everything. And so I called, I went, I went up to the front office because my wife didn't want me home. She was like, no. And so in my head, I'm like, well, I'm going to make a big old lie of why I need to go home. I can go home for a little bit and then I can come back and finish my stay. Like that was my like crazy plan in my head. So I call or I go up to the front office and I tell him that my wife's dad snapped his leg in half. My wife's at the hospital with both of our kids. I need to be home to take care of them. 
little did I know I was never taking care of them when I was home. I thought I was, I thought I was there. I thought I was just, you know, the all around dad and somebody that could like drink and drug successfully. And so I made this lie up so I can go home because this time around I brought my truck. I drove six hours to Texas to just in case I wanted to leave. <laughs> like I was prepared for this one around. I wasn't going to try and deal with trying to get an Uber or anything. Like I drove my second time because I was like, you know what? I need to make sure I have a ride home. So I ended up telling them this lie. Well, it's a Sunday. All there is is mentors around. So the main guy who runs the treatment facility, um, he has to sign my AMA papers. So they called him. They're like, hey, Scott, I wants to leave. You need to come up here. So on the way up there, I guess he, he talks to my wife and <laughs> asks my wife, you know, your dad break his leg and this and that. Well, I didn't know they talked. So he shows up and he says, so what's going on, Skylar? And I said, man, I got to get out of here. You know, father-in-law's in bad shape, snapped his leg. It's a terrible deal, terrible accident. I need to get home, man. Them kids, you know, Emma's at the hospital. She can't take care of the kids. I need to. And I mean, I was straight in the face when I told him that. And I'll never forget the look he gave me in my face when he, he sat there and he looked at me and he goes, no. And I said, what do you mean? No. You know, I get defensive immediately because I'm not getting what I want. And I'm like, what do you mean? No. He's like, I just talked to Emma. And I was like, what do you mean? You just talked to him. He's like, dad's fine. And I was like, and that, I was so angry at that point. I was like, man, I'm just trying to go home. Like, I'm sorry. I brought you up here, but I'm really wanting to go home. So he has me sleep on it. I end up AMAing the next morning, drive myself home. Um, that was at the beginning of January in 2019. Um, I ended up having a run, sleeping in my truck. I would drive home every night in my car um, and park out front. Because in my mind, if I was sleeping at the 7-Eleven the or if I was sleeping at the Walmart and a police officer rolled up on me, I didn't want to go to jail. I didn't care if I died because I couldn't get high. Like I couldn't stop getting high. So the, I wanted the drugs to kill me. Right. I was so tired because I couldn't stop getting high. I wanted the drugs to kill me. And I couldn't stop, but I could never seem to, to, you know, to, to die and to be at peace. You know, I thought I could, would never get through this. So at night, because my wife had kicked me out, I'm sleeping in my Tahoe. I would drive home every night around 10 o'clock. And I'd have all my paraphernalia with me. I'd have everything in the car. Because if a police officer in my head pulled up, I have, hey, I have my ID. This is where I live. Me and my wife are fighting. You know, I'm, I'm sleeping here. This is my house. And it'd just be a done deal. He wouldn't search my truck or nothing. Like, I live here. My car's off. Like, I, in my mind, I tried to plan so good to try to not get in trouble. Well, that didn't last very long. <clears throat> my wife ends up calling me um, in October. Uh, she calls me through this whole couple months. She's been watching these two couple on Facebook. Um, today they're a huge part of my life, um, huge part of my recovery. They started a Facebook page, and I don't want to say any names, but um, they're they're amazing people. They started a Facebook page. The husband, he's the addict, and the wife is the loved one of an addict. They would get on Facebook and they would share their story. And share what what he did and how she felt and what she did and, and how she set boundaries and the difference between an ultimatum and a boundary. And my wife started learning these things. And at first, I was so mad when she told me about this stuff. 
because I didn't want her to learn. If she let me back in the house, life's going to continue being good for me. You know, like I'll apologize. I'll try my best to keep it from you and I'll keep doing my thing. But when she gets to that point, after she learned what she learned in those months, she didn't want me back and she didn't care where I was. And she, she just kind of turned it off, which was unlike her. And so she calls me in October and she tells me that, um, you know, we have, we have a plane ticket to go to treatment. I'm like, well, I'm not going to treatment. She's like, I want you to come home and I want you to talk to these people on the phone. And at the time, I didn't care if you were sober. Uh, I really didn't care at all if anyone was sober, had any clean time, anything like that. Because to me, um, I didn't know anyone who I visioned cool in my mind. Right. In my <laughs> mind, I'm thinking cool is not sober. <clears throat> I'm like, dude, so I get home. My wife, um, she she calls these people and these people. I, I really don't remember talking to them the first night. These people don't know me at all they know my my past they know my track record because due to my wife tell, explaining the story and uh they live in boston or yeah they live in massachusetts something like that on the east coast um he tells me that um you know i talked to him for two days before i got on a plane and they said um giving you an opportunity to get on a plane change your life i'm going to be celebrating one year of sobriety out there and at the time, it didn't even phase me. I was like, all right, you know, like, it's where am I going? And he's like, Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm like, dude, I've never been in Salt Lake. Like, let's go. You know, I'm like, this is cool. So that night, <clears throat> my wife let me sleep on the couch. She wouldn't let me sleep in the bedroom at all. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the attic, and I'm pulling down um, suitcases. They're all the same suitcases. They just have their different colors. You know, they're the same thing. And I'm, I'm laying them all out on the living room and I wake her up like three in the morning and I'm just like, which suitcase should I bring? And she is just like, she's like, I don't care. Like they're all the same suitcase. And I'm like, so like high and tweaked out that I'm like, Hey, which suitcase should I take? And I'm like getting everything planned and thinking it's going to be this, you know, fabulous deal. And I'm going to go to this treatment center in Salt Lake. It's going to be snowing. I'm going to be in the mountains, dude. Like, I'm stoked. Right. I'm having, I'm like in my head, I'm like, this is awesome. Like if I could just bring enough drugs to get me through this, this is going to be such a cool experience, you know? <laughs> so I have these cartridges ready to roll. You know, I'm like, I got to roll of duct tape in my suitcase. When I get, when I land in Salt Lake city, I'm going to strap these to my leg, duct tape them. The last treatment center didn't search, you know, strip search me. They're just going to check my waistband. I'm going to go into this treatment center and I'm going to be, I'm going to be just fine. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to get through the, you know, the withdrawals. I'm going to stay off the hard stuff because Xanax and fentanyl will bring me to my knees, but pot's not bad, right? I got a medical card. It, it doesn't make me do this kind of stuff. It's that. So I need to get off that. Yes, but I'm not going to stop smoking pot. Pot's not my problem. So I get to the, to the airport in the morning. <clears throat> this was back before COVID. And so like you could have alcohol on the planes. I don't know if you guys have flown recently, but you can't, I mean, it's kind of hard to have any kind of drinks. They give you like a little baggie full of chips and like a little, little water bottle and that's it. So back then, so I was able to get a mixed drink on the plane. So I get a drink on the plane. Um, I pass out and the dude wakes me up and he's like, this guy sitting next to me, he's like, Hey, we're here. And I'm like, where are we? And he's like, Salt Lake. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like that was fast. I get off the plane my phone starts ringing. I call, well, I call her and she's like, I'm out front. Cause they're in Salt Lake city celebrating his one year anniversary. This is the same treatment center he went to. And now he's out here sharing a story with his wife online 
My wife hears it. They buy me a plane ticket. They send me to Salt Lake City and they're picking me up to take me to the treatment center. And I'm going to spend some time with them. We're going to do a coin ceremony for, for him and everything. So land in Salt Lake. Um, I go to the bathroom. I tape the cartridges up on my leg. I have the roll of duct tape. Like it's like super weird that I have a roll of duct tape in my bag. Nobody thought twice. I tape these cartridges to my leg. You know, I bait. I think I'm all right. My wife went through my bag that night. Um, she, uh, she called ahead of time and told them I had vape cartridges, which I didn't know. So I get in the car, they drive to the treatment center. I'm like, dude, this is gorgeous out here. It's a beautiful place. Right. And I didn't realize actually how far Alpine was from Salt Lake city to me. I think I felt like we got there in 15, 20 minutes. It's really like an hour drive almost. And so we get there and I'm like, man, this is like passages Malibu, man. Like this place is sweet. You know, like this is cool. I'm in the mountains. Like I was excited, <clears throat> but I was still high. Nothing has worn off yet. So to me, I'm like, this is great. And I got my, my weed pens. Like I'm in good shape, man. Like I'm going to enjoy this. And so they get me in and they, they strip search me They're like, Hey, you need to put this gown on and come out. And I'm like, I'm screwed. You know, I'm like, man, no, like, I don't feel comfortable with that. Like this ain't going to happen. You're not going to like, look at me like this thing, this is not going to happen. <laughs> well, they already knew that I had THC cartridges. So they're going through all my stuff and they, they straight up caught me. Like I had them duct taped my leg and I tried to pull the gown to the side and they, they caught me. So there goes the THC cartridges. So now I'm in a bad mood and I don't want to stay anymore. And I just want to go back home. And then I realized I'm in Utah. I'm not just in Texas. I can't just catch a ride. You know, like I'm, I'm pretty far away from home. And uh, like I'm, it started sitting in that I'm like, yeah, I'm in Utah. Like I'm just not in Oklahoma City going to treatment or detox. I'm not in Texas where I can catch a ride from a buddy coming from Midland back over to Oklahoma City. Like I'm far and I know no one out here and it's cold. And uh, they set my phone down on the on the counter and there's a camera to my right and I remember taking my phone and I was like I'm gonna go outside and smoke um went outside I tossed the phone in the bushes because again I thought I was smarter than they were and that I could have my phone if you're gonna take my weed pens whatever but at least I'm gonna have my phone well they saw me on camera so they asked me they're like where's your phone at and I'm like I don't know you guys had it like, this is on you guys. I'll deal with it in 30 days. Cause at the time I was only going to do 30 days. And, uh, long story short, they ended up knowing I took the phone. So I finally came clean. That's when everything set in. I broke down. I started crying. I got on my knees outside. I'm at this beautiful place. I'm in, I'm in such a, such a place of peace is what that backyard's like. It's not, it's not a hospital and an institution. Like what I've been to, this is a home. This is a giant three-story home sitting in the mountains it is such a peaceful place to be i'm sitting there and i'm on my knees and that was the first time because I, in the past when i'm in trouble or things don't go my way i always cry to god right like god please get me out of this situation i promise i'll never do this again i'm so sorry please i never mean it i just want to get out of trouble so i can get back to what i'm doing well at that time i'm sitting there i'm on my knees in this backyard and I'm crying. And that was the first time I actually cried out to something I didn't believe in. 
I didn't know what, you know, I didn't, my dad was so angry when he lost his job in Idaho. He hated God. He thought it was God's fault that this was happening and he had all this stuff and he lost it. Now we're in Oklahoma and he doesn't understand how it happened and he hates God. I remember seeing that. So I'm sitting there and I'm crying out to a God I don't believe in. I'm on my knees. <clears throat> I ended up going to uh, two days of detox in there. It was, well, I was two days in on detox blackout period. You don't have to go to groups or nothing. You can just kind of just stay in your room and just kind of relax and try and get comfortable. So I'm super ill. Um, things aren't good. They got me on a, on a taper on medicine. They got me on some other stuff. Um, I kind of get some clarity. And I realized like I'm in, I'm in Utah and then Mitchell, their names are Anna and Mitchell. They're out there on Facebook. They're not trying to hide it. There's no anonymity there. So sorry, but Mitchell ends up having his uh, one year coin reunion, his ceremony. Um, I go out there and this is, you know, I'm two, three days sober and the motions are, you know, they're coming in hard. I didn't, I didn't want them to come in They're They're coming in hard. I can't stop feeling these things. And I watch this dude and another guy that was the mentor there. He tells me these two dudes tell me they lived like I was living and they're picking up a year of sobriety. They're working at it. He's working at a treatment center. The other one's, you know, going online and he's, he's sharing a story. It's helping me. It's helping my wife. I know for sure it helped my wife. I'm watching them pick this chip up, and I thought that was the coolest thing I've ever saw. That was the first time I thought, when I look back, I've had more spiritual awakenings, but that was the first time I felt something. It was the first time I'm sitting there at the lowest I could be in treatment again, on th like in Thanksgiving time. I've been in treatment in Thanksgiving twice, not with my family. And I watched these two guys pick up the year chip. A chip came to me and I didn't know what to say. I couldn't cry. I was crying. I couldn't speak. And, and I just, I, I nodded at him and I handed the chip to the next person to me. And I continued to cry and cry and cry because at that time in my life, I saw what could be me when they were picking that year up. And I saw that these dudes are super cool. Like I'm seeing these dudes that telling me they live like I lived. And now they have all this stuff, you know, and they're picking up a year and they don't have to wake up thinking about drugs and alcohol. And I'm like, I'm blown away because I can barely make it 24 hours. I'm like, how did you guys do it? Right. I'm crying. And they're hugging me and I'm like, you guys bought me a plane ticket. You know, I don't even deserve this. You know, like plane tickets, just straight flight to Salt Lake City from Oklahoma City is not cheap. And um, on top of them paying for their flight from boston to salt lake so anyways i i uh the administration office we talk i decide i'm gonna do 30 30 days that's all i'm gonna do <clears throat> that 30 days um i did what they said they i did what was suggested i tried to, to help out i did my chores um trying to be a team player as much as possible i remember when i got my 30-day mark i was not going home on that 30 days anymore um, a, because I didn't have money. B, my wife wasn't paying for it. My parents weren't paying for it. I had no means of transportation to get back to Oklahoma city. As much as I wanted to leave, I wanted to stay. And that was really hard for me to, to determine because I was, I didn't like getting my things taken from me. And, uh, 
anyways, I, I make it 45 days and they tell me like, Hey, we're offering you sober living here in, in Salt Lake city. And I'm like, really? It's like connected with the treatment center. You get your phone back, you get to go, you know, have a curfew, you get to go out. But since you don't have a job and you don't live here, you have to come to the treatment center and report to the treatment center Monday through Friday for all groups. It's like, all right, that's cool. I, can I have my phone now? You know, cause I like, I want my stuff. Like that was like the biggest thing for me is I hate when my things get taken from me. So I go to this, I go to this sober living house. It's super cool. Um, after 55 days, they ended up flying me back home. My wife got me a plane ticket with her mom. They get me a plane ticket. I come home at that point in time, back up. Sorry. Watched a video on Brandon Novak, the treatment center put on Tre treatment center, put on a Brandon Novak, um, just for today, like an addiction deal for it's about an hour long. They put it on there and I'm like, man, this guy had a lot of success. Like I, I thought I had a lot of success. I didn't, I didn't come from a lot of money like him, but I thought I had, you know, the, the house, you know, a good, a good career from what I had in sports. Um, you know, the kids, the wife, the dog, the, the, everything you could think of. Right. And I, I had all this stuff and, and yet I can't stop getting high. And I see this video and I'm like, man, that really hit me in a different way. Like that's, you know, it just, it really hit me different. And, uh, I went home, I showed it to my wife, me and my wife started watching that every day for the first 90 days. I got home. I went to a meeting every day and I also watched Brandon Novak's deal every day too. My wife and I started sharing on Facebook. She started sharing on Facebook, uh, her struggles with me being home. If I'm leaning down in the middle of the night on my phone and she looks over and it looks like I'm not an option talking to people about how she's feeling about that kind of stuff. Um, when I hit six months sober, one of my buddies reached out to me right before my six months, he reached out to me. He couldn't stop drinking and he was tired of drinking and he kept hitting me up for a little bit when I got home because I was posting about it. I said, Hey, I'm home from treatment. You know, I was excited. I was riding that pink cloud and life was good. He sees that he reaches out to me. He says, I want to quit drinking. I just don't know how. And then he ghosted me. He would never answer my calls again. Once I started talking to him about it and trying to get him to treatment on my six months, I showed up to his house. This was a guy, you know, went to high school with, we were very close. Uh, we ended up going our separate ways, uh, due to drug choices and just crowds. Um, go to his house and pack his bags. I am now able to buy him a, a plane ticket to, to Salt Lake city to go to the treatment center. I attended, um, another giant milestone for me. I broke down crying. I called Anna and Mitchell. I told them I, I might not be able to give you guys your money right now, but I just was able to pay for, for my buddy to go to treatment. He's going to do a stay at, at Alpine. I'm, I'm so happy. They're crying. She's crying. She's, you know, I'm crying. It's, it feels good to be able to give back what was so freely given to me. I get, I get him on his plane and I'm the kind of friend that's like, you know, he, he, he wants to come home just like I did. And I'm like, no, man, I'm telling him exactly what everyone told me. Like, you need to stay. He doesn't have money for a plane ticket. He ends up doing 90 days coming home. Fast forward, he ends up picking up 18 months. Um, you know, it's, it's just a cool experience. Well, when my wife's on Instagram posting stuff about my recovery and her, her recovery as well, because um, she dealt with a lot of stuff a lot of trauma with me getting high and with what I put her through. And we have a couple that reached out to us. This couple live in Philly 
Um, he ended up watching, you know, talking to us, watching our stories, stuff like that. Like he hit, he texts me and he says, man, Hey, you don't know me, but I just want to let you know I have 45 days sober and clean. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule. And of course the cost, well, better help can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Well, I ended up getting his number and talking to him. And he's like, yeah, dude, I'm about to get out of treatment. I'm going to the Novak house. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What's, what's the Novak house? Like, man, it's the sober living group, Brandon Novak. And I'm like, at first I thought he was, BSing with me I, I didn't think that was for real like I was like there's no way and he ends up uh um going to the sober living house and we're talking and I'm trying to be there for him trying to help him as much as possible and be just be it be there for him and, and talk to him because the person who's got 30 days is close to the person who's got six months close the person who's got six months is close to the person that's got one year compared to someone that's got five so when I'm, when I'm talking to him, he's like, yeah, Dan, we're going to have this giant celebration. I want you to come out. Now at this point in time, I'm going to hit, I'm about to hit two years last year. Well, he set this whole thing up on his own, has this big celebration. And they asked me to be a, a guest speaker at Brandon Novak's one year sober living anniversary. And I'm like, this is not real. Like this is not happening. And, uh, like at this time I'm freaking out calling my sponsor. I'm like, dude, it's Brandon Novak. Like, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, Brandon who? I'm like, dude, from Jackass, you know? And he's like, I, I don't know who that is, but man, he's just another alcoholic. He's just another drunk that got sober and turned his life around, you know? Cause I'm nervous. I'm like, dude, how am I supposed to speak in front of this guy? You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm scared. Like I'm freaking out. It's like, man, he's just another alcoholic. Go out there and share your hope, faith and courage you know, ask God to demonstrate through you what's possible and, and, and go out there and share your story. 
And so that's what I did, man. And that was probably one of the coolest moments in my life. That's where I met Tim. Tim was there. Um, <clears throat> met Tim, met a lot of great people out in Philly. Um, and it's just crazy how those things, you know, kind of add up. And uh, close with all those guys from out there. I, I see them on Facebook. I see them on Instagram. I try to reach out when I can. Um, I was doing a big book study here. Invited some of those guys to zoom in and come check it out. Um, you know, and it's, it's crazy how where my life was and where I thought I was successful and I thought I had all these things. And then fast forward to now, and I realized that I have so much more than I ever had. I have so much more worth losing today. Um, I was just able to sell my old home and buy a new house. Um, you know, my kids have their dad back. My wife's got her husband. I'm there. I'm attentive. I'm, I hold myself accountable. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. If I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. Um, and I just, I'm grateful uh, to be a part of your guys' podcast and, and on this. I thank you guys. Um, you know, if, if there's anything I can do for anybody, man, I, I really want to try and be there for them. I struggled for a while wondering what God's will was like, you know, what, what is his will? What is, what is God's will for me? And I kept asking myself that question. I finally realized it when I was doing H and I's and, uh, the hospitals and the institutions and going to the treatment centers here in Oklahoma city and sharing my story and explaining to him, that's, that's my, that's what God has for me. Right. That's, that's his, that's, that's his, uh, um, that's, that's God's will for me is for me to share, have him demonstrate through me what's possible and share to groups of people and, and do what I can for others. You know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, uh, tell the truth, make amends when necessary and try and be the best individual I possibly can be. And that's what I try to do today is hold myself accountable and, and be a husband and father and a dad and, and a coach. And like I said, at the beginning is try and just be the best me I can be every day. And tomorrow I'll try and be better than I was today. So that's it in a nutshell for the most part. Right on, man. Thanks for sharing. That's an awesome story, bro. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Everybody's story is amazing, but boy, it's, it's just, it's, I'm so happy for you. So, so happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations over and over on so much. Like, yeah. Like how, lucky, how lucky are you to have a woman who loves you that much, bro? She can hang out and still fight for you. You know what I mean? That's man, awesome. when I look back, it's crazy. She's a, she's a real rider, man. Uh, what I put her through, it's like the birthdays, I never got her anything. Her birthdays is Friday. You know, I try to make sure that I get her stuff and I think about her and get out of self. I'm such a selfish person all the time. And I try not to be, try to get her something, you know, and not myself and, and just do what I I've never done, you know, ever. And so it's great to be able to, uh, you know, cause I could say all this stuff and I'm apologizing and, and, you know, say, I want to make amends, but it's my actions that dictate everything that I'm doing. You know, that's, what's really showing her and showing her parents, her parents hated me. And now they, that, that I love them. They love me. My parents, we, I have a great relationship with them today. And it's not, you know, I come home from treatment and tell them, Hey, I'm sorry. Right. And I tell them I'm make amends. And I'm going to make financial amends and I'm going to do everything I can. It's my actions that I've been doing the past two and a half years is what they've seen. And that's what, that's what has been the game changer there. And they see what I'm saying is true. 
I'm not just saying it again, like I've said, you know, all the, all the false promises and the false hopes and I swear it ain't next time's going to be different. It never is. Yeah. So yeah, it's really a, really a cool thing how this all happened. I used to tell the guys that I uh, sponsored that when you make amends, you should never say, I'm sorry. I'm like, everybody you're going to make amends to already knows how sorry you are. <laughs> they already know. They've seen right. how sorry you are. You know what I mean? Like, right. You don't say you're sorry. You show you're sorry. It's like, like you're talking about, right. you know, like the amends is in the life. It's in the action. And you can make direct amends where like you owe money or like, if someone has something specific that they want you to do for them to make it right. But generally most of the people that we care about and love, they just want us to quit fucking up. You know what I mean? Like they just want us to, like you said, to yeah. be the best person that we can be. It's all they want. They want us to be present in their lives as well as in our own lives. You know, that, that was right. a big thing for me. You know, I was my best friend. He, I made him cry twice. The only two times I've ever seen, I've known him since 1994. I've seen him cry twice. Both times I made him cry. <laughs> the first time he was kicking me out, out of his house on my last relapse for getting high in his house. And the second time was after I attempted to kill myself the night before I got clean. And it was about a month and a half later. We're sitting in the county jail and he's looking at me through the glass. And we're talking and he starts crying. He's like, bro. When you gonna quit jipping me out of your life? You know what I mean? Like that was that was it for me. It's like holy shit! Like I really must be worth loving. I must have something about me that has some value. And like it sounds right. like it was, and that's and that's you know like everybody always says like oh you gotta do it for yourself. Uh, you have to you have to maintain it for yourself. But I believe a lot of times for a lot of us. We do it for other people because we finally see something in them that they see in us. And like, all right, well, if they believe it. I, I believe in them. So if they believe in me, then I believe, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know what I right. mean? And, uh, yep. and then we start to do the work. And then we start to realize that when we're brushing our teeth, we're making eye contact. We're not looking at our upper lip anymore. You know, when we're shaving, we're looking at more than just our cheeks and our neck. You know what I mean? Like I was, uh, I can't even remember who I was talking to you. Oh, I was, I was actually, we were watching a Bill Burr comedy last night and uh, he's talking about how he's kind of cut down on his drinking. And he finally got to the point where he could look himself in the eye, in the mirror. You know what I mean? And like, I get that. I understand that. 27 years, I couldn't, I was disgusted by the sight of myself. Even in the times when I wasn't using, I still didn't like the way I looked. So, yeah, man, thank you so much for sharing your story, bro. That's awesome. That's a powerful story. Um, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate being, being on here, guys. Thank you. I wanted, I wanted to touch on something that you first spoke on. Because um, we were just uh, – yesterday uh, was the first time I went into a uh, high school and did a drug prevention and awareness, just kind of an education, uh, speak with some high school kids. And uh, – at the end of the day, during, uh, during, during the lunch period, we were talking with uh, the drug and alcohol counselor, the one who facilitated it, um, how she talks about kids with kids about how nicotine is a gateway drug, how it's creating an, a mentality of addiction. It's creating a, an addictive pathway. pathway in your brain. And like you talked about how like when you first, 
when the when the, when you were when the reins were let loose, that the first thing you kind of got into was drinking and 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 chew, you know, and the dipping. And um, I just want to thank you for for bringing that out and mentioning that because nobody talks about tobacco. I I, I didn't even talk about tobacco. Like, and it's funny because like I don't really think about it because I, I I just quit cold turkey one day. Like she, when I, when I met her, she told me she couldn't be with a smoker. We went on our first date and I quit. I found something way more valuable than nicotine. Right. But, uh, you know what I mean? So like, I don't think about it. So like, that's two days in a row though, that somebody's mentioned it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That like, so I listen now when the universe talks to me, you know what I'm saying? So like, thank you for bringing that up. Cause you're the second person. So that's, that's the universe telling me like, Hey man, you need to incorporate tobacco in there. And especially this context of, um, especially what you were saying, like they were the acceptable drugs. Yes. They were the okay drugs. Like the parents were like, well, okay, you know, they're high schoolers, teenagers, they're going to experiment, but it's just tobacco and alcohol. Yeah, so it's okay. not smoking meth, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah, at least they, yeah. At least they're not shooting heroin. They're just, they're just <laughs> dipping snuff. It's all right. And even pouches of that. And that, you know, when I, when I go to meetings and I hear people share their story, they leave out that they leave out the past. They, they go straight into what drugs they were doing to start off with, you know, not them going back and stealing the, the, their friend's parents' cigarettes and smoking right. them on the side of their, ha- you know, their friend's house and, and taking their liquor. I remember I stole a bottle of liquor from my parents, poured it out, put water in it. I did that liquor doesn't freeze, put the bottle back in the fridge and it was frozen. The whole bottle was That's how I got caught my first time um, stealing my parents' liquor because it was so, it was so okay out here with my friends and I'd stay the night at their house. My parents didn't, didn't care. And they were, you know, dipping, smoking, and we were drinking their dad's beer and we were doing it all together. And it was like a normal thing. You know, you're out here in Oklahoma, like you're okay. You're in the woods and it's, it's not okay. It's not okay for kids to be smoking cigarettes and drinking beer at 14. I go wrestle with some of these kids that are 14, 13, 15. And I t- look at my wife and I say, was that us? Were we that young? where I thought I was a grown man at 14, 15 years old, and I'm getting high at that age, and I'm smoking cigarettes, and these kids, they're kids still. Back then, I didn't think I, when I was 14, I was a kid. Yeah. It blows my mind when I go into these high schools, and I go roll around with some of these kids and try and coach and help, and I see them, and I'm like, how old are you? And they're like, man, I'm 14. And I'm like, I looked at my old wrestling coach from high school, and I said, man, because I made amends with him. You know, this is part of my men's is being here and giving back to the sport that's given me so much and trying to trying to be there and help out, you know, the kids learning how to wrestle. And I look back at him and I said, did I look that young when I was 14, when I was giving you such a hard time freshman and sophomore year? Did I look that young? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, man, I thought I was, you know, ready to start shaving and I was ready to be going to the bars and, uh, yeah. you know, give me my lot, my 21 year old ID. I'm ready to go. You know, um, it's crazy, man. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, so you said that fentanyl was bad for you. So um, that's kind of my, that's my jam now. Like I, I'd be clean for eight and a half years. Um, I was a heroin addict for 27 years for the most, mostly off and on. Uh, probably at least 20 years solid out of that 27. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, I was telling these kids yesterday and I, and I talk about it all the time that I, I'm so lucky that I got out of the game when I did because of all the drugs now that are laced with fentanyl, 
mm-hmm. like so you're you, like you're saying fentanyl is a drug your, your drug of choice now did you actually go out seeking fentanyl or were you just buying like fake painkillers that you now know were no so for me i ended up getting by the end of my run i ended up having a couple good solid connects i always had them in the back pocket you know um yeah. my top of the line connects mids you know yeah i had a lot of old old folks that i would manipulate you know and tell them i guess lady lived across the street from me and i'd lie to her and she got fentanyl patches pain patches that you could stick on yeah. and uh he got the, these medicines. She got a whole bunch of different stuff, but she got fentanyl patches. And I told her she didn't want to spend her welfare money. She was disabled. She didn't want to spend that money on cigarettes. So if I buy her cigarettes, she'll give me a patch. I said, man, this is a steal. I can't get these things cheap like that. I'll buy you a pa- I'll buy you a carton. Just get, you know, yeah. I'd buy her a pack of cigarettes or I'd buy her two packs and I'd get a couple Xanax and get a patch couple perks she even throw in some some somas at some point in time i didn't even like them i didn't care for them but i'm a i'm a garbage disposal when it comes to that stuff so i didn't care but it wasn't a, a choice like i'd rather just not take a soma if it came to it but that's where the fentanyl came in with the with the painkillers um and they were actual patches and then i got to the point where i was you know poking holes and squeezing them on foil and smoking them and I would justify myself still with that, knowing it was a prescription. I smoked heroin a couple times. Wasn't a big fan because to me, it was like, I didn't like the taste of it, the vinegary. I just didn't, it wasn't a fan. And the I told myself I was, well, I told myself I was better than the people that were actually smoking heroin, that I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm still taking prescription medication. I'm not, I'm not, you know, smoking that vinegar bullshit. You know, I'm, I'm doing medication, doctor approved. I'm fine. And that was my way of justifying what I was doing. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, our, denial, our denial is amazing. The way that, oh, it's um, huge. and we've, we've talked about this with another guest, like how, as you proceed through your recovery, the layers of denial that keep coming up and you're like oh wow there's another one i was totally lying to myself about all that too yeah it's amazing as we get more free we get we get more aware absolutely uh more will be revealed Mm -hmm. yeah um so you said you're doing a big book study is it uh what what program are you in so i'm aa based I wasn't a big drinker when I did drink, I got drunk, but when I went to treatment in Utah, I didn't know there was a, a, a anonymous called cocaine anonymous. I wasn't a big upper guy. I didn't like him that much, but they took me to these outside meetings. They took me to cocaine anonymous in Salt Lake city. And I don't know if you've ever been to a cocaine anonymous, you know, meeting, but they are wild. Like their whole beginning of what they say, I was like, what is this? Like it had me hooked. Like I was like, this is, this is kind of enjoyable. Like what they're screaming in the, at the very beginning, you know, all at once in the neck. And I'm like, this is insane. Like these people are crazy. So it hooked me. So I ended up going to CA and CA is a big, it's an AA related, you know, group. Like they work out of the big book. They work out of the same steps and, 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 everything's the exact same as AA, except for I can label myself an addict, an alcoholic, um, a a dope fiend, whatever I want to label myself, they're okay. Instead of the AA meetings, you know, they, they want you to say alcoholic. My sponsor is an AA guy. Um, he ended up taking me to some AA meetings that I found him in CA. And, uh, so with throughout CA and AA, I stay AA based, stay, you know, with the AA community. Um, 
I don't hate on NA or anything like that. It just, it's, it what it's what worked for me at that time. I got sober. I, <clears throat> when I got home from treatment one time, I actually got a tattoo on my hand that says just for today, because I went to an NA meeting, never been to one. I left treatment early. Me and my buddy went to an, a meeting, an NA meeting. I said, man, that's cool. Just for today. I think that'd be a sweet tattoo. Let's go get one. So I hollered at my buddy, got it written on us, drinking a bottle of Sailor Jerry. And, the tattoo. <laughs> and got this, got awesome. this just for today on my hand uh, in big, bold letters and thought that, um, I don't know if you can see it, just for today. Yeah. 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 And that was, that was another funny thing because I thought, I was like, man, that sounds cool, man. And then eventually I kept looking at it. Once I got sober, I was like, man, I knew this would come in handy one day. Like, right. I really did. So, yeah, uh, I'm AA yeah. for sure. I uh, I was just I was just curious. I uh, I do HA, which is big book. It's AA based too. Um, right. Heroin Heroin Anonymous, or actually, Narcotics Anonymous, actually started off in AA too. They um, and then the old timers were like, hey, you know, like we're about singleness of purpose. We think you guys should like start your own meetings and like Jimmy K and a couple of the other guys, they were, uh, they branched off. And at first narcotics anonymous was called heroin addicts and alcoholics anonymous. Really? And then, yeah. And then that's when that, that's when the old timers were like, Hey, like we totally are cool with using the steps, the traditions and all of that. Just don't use alcoholics anonymous. Use any other kind of anonymous you want. Just don't do alcoholics anonymous. So they decided to use narcotics to be all inclusive. All around, yeah. Yeah. And I, but, realized, uh, yeah. I went to I, I, I realized too, going through those meetings and working those steps, I found my sponsor. Um, I asked him, I said, I said, Man, I like what you said. I want what you have. And he said, How do you know what I have? And I said, Well, he caught me off guard and I was like, I don't know what you said it was pretty good, man. I want that, you know. And he's like, you know, I could have a disease. I mean, why would you want what I have? I don't, I don't understand the name. It's like, man, this guy's tough, man. Like ended up working the steps with them. And I realized at that point in time that I could still fuck my life up without drugs and alcohol. And I just didn't think that was possible. I didn't think that it was, I thought it was the drugs and alcohol that if I set it down and I'm sober, life's going to be good. And, you know, I realized, I realized that that's not the case, you know, that it's a lot of me and a lot of work I need to do in here and uh, working those steps with the sponsor um you know through through the book and learning that book and 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 trying and doing the uncomfortable and and be have the willingness and the acceptance um to how i am you know today i fully accept that i can't drink like normal people you know and i've accepted that i couldn't stay sober until i could accept my alcoholism and i consider myself um an alcoholic i um i consider Sobriety to me, <clears throat> I use sobriety or sober as everything. So sobriety to me um, is defined as a drug and alcohol-free state of being characterized by freedom and happiness. So when I say I'm sober, that means all the above. Because when you look up sober in the, in the dictionary, it says something about alcohol. To me, it's defined as a drug and alcohol-free state of being characterized by freedom and happiness. I could have the the drugs gone and the alcohol gone, but I still can't be happy until I fix what's in here. And I didn't realize what I was doing. And those steps helped me get through that stuff. And I had a lot of stuff I didn't work through. And uh, for instance, my, my dog, he's, he's in ICU right now. He's in bad shape. 
and uh, it's been really tough on our whole family. It's been since last Friday, and it's one of those deals where we're just waiting around for phone calls. So it's just anxiety. I've been trying to bottle it up because I haven't, when life's good, it's good. You know, if I practice all this stuff, when I'm up here, when I'm down here, I know how to live it. At least I thought until, until last night and I'm in this situation because life's been good. Then my dog has this issue. And to me, he's not just a dog. He's our family member. And I sat there and I've been trying to stuff it down and try not to let it bother me. And I realized because the nurse said something joking, she goes, yeah, man, this is, this is tough. We just need a, you know, a drink and a Xanax. And then my mind, my mind popped and I go, that sounds kind of nice right now. You know, I would love to escape this feeling, you know, and not have to deal with this. And I went outside to get some fresh air and I cried. I went back inside and I saw my dog and I cried and I cried because I haven't been able to feel the pain. I've been trying to stuff it, numb it without putting alcohol and drugs on top of it. And it all came out, man. And I, I felt good. I didn't like to feel it. I still don't like to feel certain things that I have no choice to feel. I have to go through them, not under or around them or over them. Uh, take it head on. And this, this dog situation, to some people, it's just a dog. But to me, it's, it's I'm proud of myself. My buddy called me last night and said, man, I'm proud of you dealing with this, you know, sober. Like, this is a tough deal. Um you know, people can go home and, and they can might be able to smoke a bowl and take a little take a drink, not even finish the whole bottle, you know, just a little bit of some beer and hit the bed. I don't I don't have the opportunity or the privilege um, to do to do those things. And I've accepted that. And uh, the obsession is gone. But last night, um, you know, it popped in my head, you know, how That's that would hideous. how that would make the situation a little bit better where I didn't have to feel what I'm feeling. And I went through it, man. And he called me and said he was proud of me for being able to get through this stuff and, and deal with this stuff, man. Sober, get up, go to work, you know, take care of the kids, you know, take it, you know, try and take care of my wife. I'm trying to take care of my wife so much. She is a wreck. She's a trooper through this whole thing. And it, it breaks my heart. She has to go through this. And, you know, you feel these feelings and you, you see things in a different light once you get sober. Once I got sober, I started seeing things. I watched a movie with my kids, like a, like a Disney movie. And I start crying. I'm like, why am I crying? Like, uh, I, you know, my dad always tell me you're, you're a man, men don't cry, you know, Hey, quit crying. You know, your big boy don't cry, man. I got sober and I haven't stopped crying, dude. And it's like half of it's happy cries, you know, happy tears. And I, I get to feel that kind of stuff. But last night was the first time that I've let myself feel something that was bad because life's been good. Like I said, when I'm up here and I'm practicing it, everything's great, but can I live it when I'm down here? And then that, that happened. And, uh, you know, I know he's going to be all right. And uh, I was I was proud of myself, too, because most of the time, those kind of situations, I just would turn around the other way and bottle them up, and throw, throw drugs on top of it and forget about it, act like it never happened. And then I have to do a four step and a fifth step and try and figure all this out down the road, you know, and it, I don't want to do that stuff, you know. So it's a uh, it's a big deal, man. It's sobriety school. It's, it's awesome. Never would have thought I'd be here telling you guys sobriety school. And that, you know, <laughs> going to Novak's house. And, when you've it, done yeah, the work, it's, so it's amazing. It's but when you're doing the work to be emotionally sober, that's when it like gets magical. You're like, okay, I'm here. I'm present. I'm really doing this. Like I've, 
I've leaned up into life. Like I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm in relationship with what's actually happening now, not what I'm trying to run from or some fantasy I'm trying to create. Right. And you get a, you get a, an acceptance and, and you get a, uh, man, I have such a good connection with my higher power today that I never would have thought I had, you know, and like, I don't get into it with certain people because it's just, you're just wasting your breath, right? People aren't going to understand everything. Um, they don't understand the allergy or the obsession or anything like that, you know? So you just don't get into it with those people. But today I have something that a lot of people don't. And that's a God of my understanding. It's somebody that, that, that I, you know, I put faith in and I pray to, and I, I believe in, and I, I try to, I try to do 10, 11 and 12 daily. Um, I really do. I really, I really, uh, enjoy having something that I know a lot of people don't and that's a higher power and uh so it works for me that's what I tell them I say it might not work you know what works for me may not work for you um well and I'll, I'll but tell you cool. man what I learned because I I got clean clean and sober in 2006 for almost six years five years um and uh my last relapse ended up with me so depressed and tired and sad that I actually did commit suicide. Um, some friends revived me, but the one thing that I've learned this round is even when I got sober the first time, I was still all about pain avoidance. I didn't want to deal with anything like you were talking about. I just stuffed it down and I wasn't drinking and I wasn't using. And then eventually I got to the point where I was like, man, I would absolutely rather be high then feel like this. Absolutely. No question. There's no, should I call my sponsor and talk about it? Like it, it's like a pressure cooker that just went too long, built up too much pressure. And uh, so, yeah, man, I, I'm proud of you too, dude, because like, like I was telling these kids yesterday, you know, like we do drugs and we, we, we drink because we want to escape where we are in our lives, you know, and we live in a society where we're told to avoid pain and discomfort at all costs. We watch TV, you watch sporting events, had a rough day, crack open a cold one, had a rough day, have a scotch, smoke a bowl, do this, bang a chick, bang a dude, sign anything, out. yes, numb out, anything to make you not think about the miserable existence that is your life. That's how they portray it to us in the media. Like, look at these celebrities who have everything and do everything that you're never going to be or do. And just watch them and drink this or smoke this, whether it's cigarettes or sex or alcohol or drugs or whatever. Because here's the one thing. On the news, they'll tell you, oh, drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs. But then every television show, movie, song you hear, everything is telling you to get high, telling you to get drunk. Yep. That it, You're not getting, like you said, if you're not drunk, you're not, you're cool. not cool. If yeah. you're not getting high, you're not cool. You know, and that's what I'm trying to tell these kids when I'm going to the high school. You know, it's like pain is your best fucking friend. If you have the courage to sit with your pain and allow yourself to emote and to feel the emotions, to go through the grieving process, then when you come out the other side, you're a better person. You're a bigger person. Pain is a sign of growth. If you're not hurting, you're not growing. Like right. we're not, the, we don't go through, we don't sit there and like, think about like, man, like that one day in the backyard when I was reading and it was so sunny and everything was just going so great that day. That really taught me a lot about who I am as a person. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, but like right, watching right. your dog, like, dude, I can't do I'm sitting here. My heart's breaking, bro. We have three dogs, two that are almost two. And then their baby, that's about seven months old now. And I'm sitting here. Like I saw your Instagram photos. I, I think I commented or something. Uh, but I'm like, man, like, dude, like, I can't even imagine that, bro. Like, like if somebody was like, man, a drink in his Xanax would be good. I'm like, yeah, that would, the insidiousness of your, of, of our addiction will that first thought I had my, my sponsor, my last sponsor used to tell me <laughs> we're not responsible for our first thought, but we are responsible for every thought that leads off of it. So he's like, that thought's going to come. Somebody's going to say something like that. A beer would be good. And your addiction's going to be like, fuck yeah, dude, a beer sounds great. But then like back, right. back in the day, we used to call it playing the tape all the way through. Like, okay, yeah, a beer sounds great. And it would, one beer would probably be fine. And then two, three weeks from now, I'm going to be like, well, I had a rough day today, man. And I had one beer the other day. It worked then and so on and so on. And next thing you know, you got a toothache. You're like, man, I really need some fighting. I got to go to the dentist because I got a toothache. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you're, that's right. how your brain and your addiction will feed into it if you believe the lies. So, dude, I'm so glad that you allowed yourself to feel that pain and, I know that your dad's old school like mine is, dude, but real men fucking cry. Oh, dude. Yeah, that's what I was telling my son because my dad, and that's what me and my wife talk about, is we're going to break the cycles, you know, the toxic cycles that my dad, you know, the things he instilled in me. It's toxic. My my, my dad told my son the other day when he was watching him, you know, hey, don't cry. You know, know, big boys don't cry. You know, it's going to be all right. And I'll – I pulled him aside last night crying and I said, it is okay to cry. He goes, dad, I haven't seen you cry. He's six, man. Like <clears throat> if you want to cry, man, you cry, dude. Like we're human. We're going to cry, man. Things are going to hurt. Have to feel things, man. You need to feel happy, like happy, sad, you know, scared, all these things. You need to feel them um, and let it get through you. Cause that's so, I mean, that's, 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 I've never realized what anyone was talking about until last night about crying and healing. And that's what, how you get through that kind of stuff is letting your emotions go out. Man, <clears throat> I ugly cried last night. The whole situation with my dog <laughs> is such a fluke deal. I feel the guilt and all that stuff has been rushing in. The guilt, like I, what if I could have got up and picked up the backyard? You know, what if I would have done this that day? Maybe he wouldn't have ate that. And we wouldn't be in the situation. I wouldn't have to see his belly the way it is. And I'm so sorry, dude. You're my dog. Like, I'm so sorry you have to go through this. And I'm dealing with all that emotion, that guilt, and I start crying. And I realize that it's like I start to feel a little bit lighter, start to feel a little bit like maybe understanding. I I don't know what I was feeling. I just know it felt good. It didn't feel like I was stuffing it anymore because you can only stuff it for so long. And then it just comes out and I exploded. I, I couldn't I couldn't hold it together. And uh you know, that was the first thing my wife said about this dog. I love that dog. I got him before I got Troy. My dog just turned last month, uh, seven. He's too young to go away. I love him to death. And my wife said, please don't relapse over this. And I said, I'm, I'm not going to. And that was the first time in a long time she said anything to me about a relapse, um, which spoke a lot to me sitting there thinking about what she said. So I was like, you know, at first you get defensive almost. You're like, what? Why would you say I'm like, don't relapse? Like I'm, I'm doing just fine. You know, how, how dare you sort of, you know, 
and, and, and your mind takes you right back to that square one where it's like you get defensive, like, well, hang on, what do you mean don't relapse? Like, are you saying that I'm like acting funny or like that I, I'm not strong enough to deal with this sort of deal? And my pride right. gets high, my ego gets high, and all these things that'll kill me quicker than drugs and alcohol start going up. And I'm on defense mode. And I sat there and I thought about what you were saying. And I'm like, it's not about me. You know, it's not about my pride and ego and all this stuff. It's this is a tough deal, tough situation for anybody that goes through it, especially someone in recovery. My sponsor tells me all the time, every time I talk to him, I didn't know what he meant when he told me this. I said, <clears throat> what are you talking about? How many years do I have to have till you quit saying you're just sober enough to get loaded? What are you talking about, dude? Because I'm not getting it because I, I hit a year. I hit 18 months. I hit two years. I hit two and a half years. How many years do I need till you say you're not, he'd always tell me you're just sober enough to get loaded. You're just sober enough to get loaded. And I said, I don't understand how many years do I have to have? It wasn't until just recently I realized what he was saying is like, it doesn't matter how much time you got, dude. You know, like you're just it's sober enough to get loaded. Yep. It's, it's always, always that, that close. Yeah. It's I didn't know what he meant, man. And yeah. So it was, it was, yeah, man, my dog, he's, he's going to be all right. Everything looking good today that the vet called right before I got on here and, uh, you know, it's just, it just sucks sitting there waiting, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm praying for him. I'm hoping everything's okay. It's out of my hands. That's what I have to realize, you know, it's not my hands anymore. And, uh, you know, it just, just being acceptance, uh, of the situation and how it happened instead of replaying the tape and seeing what you could have done different because you can't do that. You'll just beat yourself up. You know, I got to accept that this is how, this is what it is right now. If you could have done something different, you'd have done something different. <laughs> That's what I, you know, I mean, what I tell myself, like, you know, I don't, I don't regret any of the choices I made. They were the best choice at the time. I'm not going to beat myself right. about it now. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. Like, no, <clears> thank <throat> you for having me. Yeah, I, I definitely, we'll definitely keep in touch, brother. Uh, we're going to, we're going to, I want to follow you. I'm going to, I always hope that I'm six years ahead of you. <laughs> I hope right. that you know what I'm uh, what, so what's what's your what's your uh what's your date is it november no november 2nd 2019 mine's october 28th so i'm wrong yeah you guys are close yeah, <laughs> yeah. close yeah. yeah my birthday is actually october 17th all right wow. that's yeah. just my yeah. that's my birthday yeah. your who's that was that was my daughter's birthday oh really yeah. Ah, nice. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I, I know that there's, you know, in recovery, like there's this part that it's part of the healing to share, but it's also part of all of our healing to receive it and to hear it and to, to be blessed with, with your vulnerability and your story. So thank you so much. So, so much for no, coming sharing your time with us. Thank you guys. I know, I know when I get off, I'm going to replay in my head of what I could have said and what, what I should have said and, and think about all the things that, Oh man, I forgot about that. But this is how, you know, God wanted me to share today. So I I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful for you guys. Glad Tim reached out to me. I'm glad I started getting in contact with you, man. I appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. And uh, do you want to, you want to tell the folks how they can follow you or find you where, where you're at? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so my, I'm on Instagram, Skylar Petri, I think, uh, gosh, I know on Facebook is Skylar Petri. 
on Instagram. On Instagram, I think it's with two Ys. I think it's I think it's the Skyler Petra on Instagram. Um, yeah, the Skyler Petra two Ys, and then on Facebook, Skyler Petri. Um, yeah, reach out to me there if you guys if anybody needs anything. I'll put the, um, I'll put the links in the show notes. Awesome. Yep. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Yep, have Thanks. a wonderful Thanks. night. And I'll, yeah, I'm love, for your dog. Yeah, love to you and your family. Yep. And your your puppy. God. Thank you guys. Yep. God bless you and yours. Yeah. Take care. You guys as well. You guys have a good one. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. You too. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Um I know we talk about a lot of things that can be triggering on this show. Um, so if anything that we talk about has made you feel any kind of way or has triggered you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. Um, share the love, nolovepodcast.com. Uh, Rex at nolovepodcast.com. Um, you can just hit us up through the website, Facebook, Instagram. It's all in the show notes. There's also a bunch of hotlines and links to other organizations if we're not what you need. Um, feel free at any point to DM, message us anything, questions, comments, concerns. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, feel free to reach out to us through the website. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Namaste. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.